America's incredible prosperity was built atop a foundation of free markets and free people. We cannot allow left-wing ideologues to undermine that foundation. But with inflation on the rise and a struggling market, many in America's political class are attempting to recycle their failed socialist ideas. National Review's Capital Record podcast is standing in the gap, providing you with the arguments and analysis you need to defend our economic system. Financier and NRI trustee David Barnson hosts interviews with the nation's top business leaders, entrepreneurs, and financial commentators as they provide a practical and moral vindication of America's capitalist way of life. With guests such as Larry Kudlow, Steve Forbes, and Art Laffer, Capital Record invites you to tune in for top-level economic commentary you can't get anywhere else. Join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Great Books Podcast. Today we'll talk about The Golden Key by George MacDonald. I'm your host, John J. Miller of National Review, and you're listening to a production of National Review. Our guest is Haley Stewart, the author of Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life and The Grace of Enough, as well as the Sister Serafina Mysteries for Young Readers. She has a Substack newsletter called Haley Stewart's Newsletter, and she's the editor of the Word on Fire Children's Imprint, which has just put out a new edition of The Golden Key by George MacDonald. She's podcasted with us previously on Kristen Laverne's Daughter and Anne of Green Gables, and she joins us by Zoom as we record from Hillsdale College's campus radio station, WRFH in Michigan. Haley, welcome back to the Great Books Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about George MacDonald. Why is The Golden Key by George MacDonald a great book? It's a beautiful fairy tale to start off with. It's full of mystery and just really highlights the longing that every human soul has for another world, for the eternal realm. But I think what also makes it a great book is that it's really foundational, as all of George MacDonald's fairy tales are, for all the fantasy literature that came afterwards. So if you look at Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Wrinkle in Time, Neil Gaiman's fantasy, you can look back at George MacDonald because they call him the forgotten father of fantasy. He's the grandfather of the Oxford Inklings. And so he's just so influential on this whole genre. Madeline Lingle, who's one of my favorite writers, she wrote Wrinkle in Time is what listeners will be most familiar with. But she called him the grandfather of us all, all of us who struggle to come to terms with truth through imagination. And so I think that's what really sets his his fairy tales, his fantasy apart as great books. We're going to talk about all of that, the title story, The Golden Key, in this collection, a few of his other stories as well, the genre in which George MacDonald wrote, his massive influence, and a lot more. Let's start with the first line in this fairy tale called The Golden Key, which is this, quote, There was a boy who used to sit in the twilight and listen to his great aunt's stories, She told him that if he could reach the place where the end of the rainbow stands, he would find there a golden key, unquote. 
So here's our mystery. What's the golden key, Haley, and what does it unlock? This is a fairy tale. So what the golden key is, is open to interpretation and what it unlocks is open to interpretation. But as I read the story and see what, first of all, I love that it starts out with a little boy being told stories, which then influence the whole course of his adventure. Because as a children's book editor, I have to believe that stories are important and impactful to children or else my job wouldn't have a point. So I love that it starts in that way. But then I think it speaks to this idea that every human soul has this end, which is is, is eternal life. And so to, to have the golden key and then to go look for what it opens, I read the story as this is the journey of every human soul trying to get back to God. So what is the importance of telling stories? I almost don't want to ask the question. This is the Great Books Podcast. Of course, we believe in the importance <laughs> of telling stories. But but Haley, why are they so important? Why are they so important for children? Well, it's because God wired us to understand and learn and understand truth through stories. So we see this as Jesus tells his disciples parables, right? He could have given them a lecture, but instead he tells a story and it's not to be confusing. It's because he knows that we are designed to understand through stories. This is just how human beings are made. And so that's why stories are so important. This is the way we understand the world, our place in the world, you know, who we are, what the world is like, and how to navigate our way through the world. And so it all begins with the stories that we know and the stories that we believe to be true is how we live our lives. George McDonald, who was born in 1824, died in 1905, once said, I do not write for children, but for the childlike. What do you think he meant? I think he's saying that his books often are books that are called children's literature, but they're wonderful for adults too. And so I think what he's saying is that he writes good stories that are full of truth. And the best way for him to express the truth is through these fantasy stories. And so they're appropriate for children, but they're for everyone. And I I think what makes his stories so childlike, not childish, but childlike, is there's this beautiful earnestness. There's this joy and delight in the stories that I think does speak to... Um, kind of the child in, in all of our hearts, that there's this beautiful, earnest, true, joyful, delightful feeling to all of his stories that there's there's no cynicism at all. And so I think that that's what he's referring to. So let's take a look at how this operates then in George MacDonald's story, The Golden Key, published in 1867. I read the first line about the boy who listens to stories. His name is Mossy, M-O-S-S-Y, peculiar name. What happens to him then in this opening part of The Golden Key? He goes out, you know, he's inspired by these stories. His great aunt tells him he's determined to go out and find the golden key. And 
he's looking at the end of the rainbow. He's, he's looking for it. He can't find it. He falls asleep. And then when he wakes up, he sees it. And so at that point, he says, you know, if there's a key, there has to be a lock that this unlocks. And I love that. I mean, it definitely, you see that echoed in the secret garden a little bit later in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, where there's this key and then the child says, oh, well, this has to unlock something. But I think there's also, it, it echoes to me also C.S. Lewis's concept, which I'm going to paraphrase and completely butcher because I don't have it memorized, but where he's talking about how we have this longing for this other world. And the only thing that makes sense is that there is this other world for us to long for. Otherwise, why would we have this desire? And so I see that in this story that we're we're given this longing for something else, this longing for something eternal. And it's, it's a mystery. And, and what do we do with it? And where do we look? But we wouldn't have that longing if it couldn't be satisfied. The other world in The Golden Key is fairyland. What is fairyland? So in in this story, you know, George MacDonald says at the beginning, you know, this sort of thing only happens in fairyland. So it's good that the story is set in fairyland. Of course, in fairy tales and fantasy literature, there's going to be a lot of variation there. But I, I've been actually reading through all of Grimm's fairy tales, which is longer than I thought it was. I'm, I think I'm on story 150 of 200 or something like that. But for it, for those, for example, it's a world in which human beings are going to encounter these magical things, the supernatural, where you can walk out your door and there's fairies around and you're going to go on this adventure and fish can fly and be your guide. And so it's that kind of world. But what's interesting about the Golden Key it isn't that they, they're already in fairyland. What they want to get to, and I say what they, because Mossy is then joined by a girl named Tangle. And what Mossy and Tangle want to get to is what they call the place from whence the shadows fall. So they see these shadows in the air and they want to know where are the real things that these are just shadows of, um, which sounds very platonic, <laughs> but is interesting that they're wanting to go to a place that's even more real than the place where they are and where the shadows are the real thing, which also makes me think about um, Narnia, where C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, in Narnia, the trees are more like trees and everything's more real and so I, you can see kind of that that conversation between George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis, who comes later, but was so influenced. Elements of fairyland are just plain weird. You mentioned flying fish. There's indeed a, a feathered airborne fish in the Golden Key, which strikes me as, as surrealistic, right? This is not a word that George MacDonald would have had. It comes later as a, as a 20th century artistic concept about irrationality and, and, and dreamlike qualities and, and so forth, you know, not merely odd, but, but deeply, almost disturbingly weird. Why is Fairyland so strange in this way? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, one thing that really characterizes all of McDonald's work is that it's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> it's pretty strange. Um, and I think that part of it is that he is 
bringing you into this world to see with new eyes. And the way that we do that is we have to kind of get knocked out of what's familiar for us in order to see the truth that he's trying to present, which, you know, he was a a Christian. He was a congregationalist minister. The gospel was the most important thing to him. And so all of his stories are these strange, strange tales that are trying to communicate the truth. And it it almost has a, a biblical feel. You know, there are so many stories in the Bible that we read and we go, this is a very strange story. And so I think that there, he almost has that biblical prophet kind of sense. In fact, I'm going to see if I can find this quote from Chesterton um, which I love because if you see a picture of George McDonald, he has this big beard and piercing eyes. And Chesterton said that he's like a character in one of his own fairy tales, a true mystic to whom the supernatural was natural. Dr. McDonald enters fairyland like a citizen returning to his home, which I just really love. There is, in fact, an old man in The Golden Key, and we'll get to him in a moment. I want to ask about Tangle the Girl. So we've met Mossy the boy. He's in fairyland. He's searching for the rainbow, the golden key, what it unlocks. He meets Tangle the Girl. Who is she? So Tangle is a little girl whose mother has died. Her father is a merchant and is away. So it's sounding you know, a little bit like Cinderella. She's being mistreated and neglected by the servants who have been left behind to care for her. And interestingly, it's another story that launches her on her adventure. So she's reading Silver Hair, which is a variation of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And then she hears, or at least thinks she hears, bears coming in to her house to get her. And so she runs away And she finds this cottage where there's this beautiful woman who then tells Tangled that she is her grandmother. And if listeners have read The Princess and the Goblin, it's going to sound a little bit like that story. There's this grandmother that the girl and the princess and the goblin discovers. And so this is kind of a similar, a similar type here. And she, you know, washes Tangled and brushes out all the tangles of her hair and then mossy arrives and the grandmother sends them off he's got the golden key she sends them off to find the lock and the place from whence the shadows fall and eventually they meet the old man the old man of the sea sounds like an Ernest Hemingway story who who is this character what role does he play then in this adventure of mossy and tangle So the old man of the sea, the old man of the earth, and the old man of the fire are kind of these three guides that are leading Mossy and Tangle to their destination. And um, what's interesting is that at the very beginning of their journey, they're separated. And so Mossy and Tangle have to go on this journey alone, which I think also speaks to that theme of... um, the the human soul reaching for God. This isn't a journey that anyone can take for you. You know, you have to do it alone in some way, but there's these guides and there's still this community kind of leading them through. And so one of these characters is the old man of the sea who says, you know, I can't tell you from whence the shadows fall, but I can tell you how to get to the old man of the earth and maybe he can tell you. And so Tangled gets to the old man of the earth 
And I think my favorite part of her journey is that she sees that to go to the next guide, the old man of the fire, she has to go down this deep hole. And she tells the old man of the earth that there's there's no stairs. And he says, you must throw yourself in. There is no other way, which I think kind of speaks to this journey of faith. You just have to jump in. You know, there's no easy way to do this. And so then she reaches the old man of the fire who gives her an egg with a snake in it that leads her on to the end of her journey. And then you're told the same kind of of progression for Mossy. He has to meet each of these old men and then reach finally the keyhole for the golden key. So what is the Christian purpose of all this? It sounds like a perfectly engaging fairy story, and it is. It's really readable and so forth. But why why this genre? Why this form to teach kids or anybody about faith and, 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 and Christianity? Why not just have them read the gospel stories or other stories from the Bible? Why this way? Sure. Well, I think that... Um... There's a couple things. One thing is there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he talks about how myths and fairy tales, they take all the things we know and restores to them the rich significance, which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity by putting bread, gold, horse, apple, or the very roads into a myth. We do not retreat from reality. We rediscover it. So I think at their heart, a good fairy tale is one that helps you see the gospel to understand the narrative that you're a part of more clearly. You're you're able to see, it gives you eyes to see. And it also forms your imagination to understand, you know, who am I in the story and what's the end of the story? And this is really what I think distinguishes fairy tales from other genres like fables or or from like classical myths is that the end of the story is never a final defeat the end of the story is always this hopeful turn um tolkien talks about this in his essay on fairy stories he talks about the concept of you catastrophe this good catastrophe after everything seems hopeless there's this sudden joyful turn that turns everything upside down so that the, the last chapter isn't a final defeat. There's this hope at the end. And so that's, I think, what makes a good fairy tale and also what mirrors the gospel story and gospel hope. And so I think that's partly why it's so important to offer fairy tales, not because we're offering a escape from reality where, you know, we want to gloss over the hard things. The good fairy tales include all kinds of hard things, grief and death and catastrophe. And yet the last part is hopeful. And I think that's a really, really important narrative to shape the imagination of children because we do live in a, in a culture that has so much despair. And I think that that really just has such a negative effect on a child understanding their place in the world and what their story is going to be like. You've just given a great definition of a fairy tale, but what's a fairy? <laughs> and and for <laughs> it to be a fairy tale, do you have to have a fairy in the story? 
you I don't think you have to have an actual fairy as a character, although this this story does have some fairies that um kind of chase mossy and it's interesting that mcdonald when he's talking about them in the story he's saying you know sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad they're sort of this completely other kind of creature but then in in a lot of our fairy tales you know that we all know there there might not be a a fairy per se the collection that i edited for word on fire's children's imprint that includes the golden key also has the light princess and princess daylight and so in those there's no fairy characters but there is you know the evil witch who puts the curse on the princess sort of these sort of fairy tale types in the story so i think that a fairy tale doesn't have to include a fairy but usually includes some kind of supernatural magic or you know something that's kind of happening to the human character. You mentioned your new edition of The Golden Key from the Word on Fire children's imprint. It's a beautiful little volume. The, the contents are the story, The Golden Key, and then these two other stories that you mentioned. But describe this volume for our listeners. Why should they obtain this particular edition? So what our goal is for, for this particular edition and then for others in this series is as an imprint we, we want to publish new new wonderful things that people are writing but we also wanted to offer a really engaging beautiful resource for children to dive into older wonderful stories that perhaps they've missed you know a lot of kids are going to be familiar with some of the classic fairy tales probably Alice's Adventures in Wonderland that sort of thing but probably haven't read The Golden Key and The Light Princess and Little Daylight. And so what we did is we didn't alter the text at all. It's the original text. We added a few little footnotes where something might be confusing. For instance, um, Tangle's reading Silver Hair and the Three Bears. So we made a little note to say, you know, this is a variation of Goldilocks so that the child reader isn't going to get confused. And then we also commissioned new beautiful full color illustrations that I just love how those turned out. And so our hope is just that the child looks at this beautiful edition and just wants to keep reading, wants to see the next beautiful illustration, wants to see what happens in the story, and that it's made in a way that feels very accessible without having to water down the language in any way of the original. And what is Word on Fire and then its its unit, the, the, the Word on Fire children's imprint? What are these two things? Sure. So Word on Fire Publishing is the publishing house connected to Bishop Robert Barron's apostolate, Word on Fire, which is a Catholic ministry that's goal is evangelization and spreading the gospel and then also forming and um, forming evangelists. So that's Word on Fire. And then the children's imprint is just, you know, a a piece of Word on Fire publishing. And our goal is to just create beautiful books with engaging language that really um, is never watered down for the readers, never feels condescending or patronizing, but is always kind of helping the reader reach forward a little bit in interesting language and beautiful stories that will form the imagination. It, it was interesting working on this project. One of the things that I researched a little bit is, you know, who did George MacDonald have a big influence on? And it was so interesting that two of 
you know, the greatest Christian evangelist apologists, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, were so influenced by him. And in fact, C.S. Lewis said that McDonald baptized his imagination, which is such a beautiful image. And so I think of that as that's the ultimate goal is to produce books that really baptize the imagination of the young reader. So who was this guy, George MacDonald? At the top of the show, you called him the forgotten father of fantasy. And you use that line in the introduction to your edition of The Golden Key. But why was he so great? And then why did everybody forget about him? (laughs) Sure. So he was a Scottish writer he was a Congregationalist minister. So he was a minister and then he was writing and moved into writing full-time. So he wrote over 50 books. Some of his most popular ones were Fantasties, Lilith, and The Princess and the Goblin. He um, was a family man. He had 11 children, which is a you know, very big family. Several of the children died of tuberculosis. So there was a lot of loss. And at one point, the family all moved to Italy for for their health. So they spent a lot of time there. And he wrote and preached and was just kind of this, I, I do think of him as like this wise wizard or prophet sort of character. Um Chesterton called him the St. Francis of Aberdeen, where, you know, that's where around where he was born. But I think that's such a great title for him because he does have some of that kind of wild, strange St. Francis kind of innocence to him. But all, all of his writing is just fascinating and a little bit strange, but also very delightful. And he had this huge influence you mentioned Chesterton and Lewis and, and and Tolkien. He was actually a mentor, apparently, to to Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland. That's right. So he was a mentor to Lewis Carroll, Charles Dodgson. And I think that probably his influence on Lewis and then Lewis's influence on other fantasy writers, but it, it seems that it's not just that he influenced Chesterton, Lewis, Tolkien read him as well. You know, Lewis and Tolkien as the some of these great fantasy writers, but a lot of other fantasy writers didn't just know him through Tolkien and Lewis. They went back and read him. So Neil Gaiman, Madeline Lingle, you know, even more modern fantasy writers seem to keep going back to him, but his work isn't as well known. And I don't know what the reason for that is. I mean, the language is probably a little bit less accessible. Some of his work is in more of a, a Scots dialect. And so they have translated works because English speakers struggle to get through some of that. So he's more in the Victorian era. I think that might have something to do with it. But rereading some of these stories, especially The Light Princess and, and Little Daylight in this collection, are incredibly readable for for children for grown-ups they're not difficult the language isn't isn't hard they're funny they're charming and so i do hope that this edition will bring them back into the conversation more get more children reading them and encountering them at a young age so he's not entirely the forgotten father of fantasy maybe the half forgotten father of fantasy people can't find him and do discover him what's your story haley how did you come to know George McDonald. So I didn't read him until college. I took a 
children's fantasy literature class with Dr. Stephen Prickett, who actually had C.S. Lewis as a professor, which was kind of a neat connection there. And we read The Princess and the Goblin, The Golden Key. I think we read, maybe we also read Fantasties and Lilith, or perhaps I read those in an Oxford Inklings class. So that's how I first met George MacDonald. And I was sad that it had taken me so long to read them that I didn't read them as a child. And since then, I've kind of picked them up again over the years, read some of them to my own children. And so they've just kind of been living in my imagination since college. And your new volume includes The Golden Key, which is a real classic among George MacDonald's stories. It has these two other tales as well, The Light Princess and Little Daylight. How did you pick those two from all the different stories you could have added to this volume? Sure. So I read a lot of a lot of different stories, considered a lot of different ones, but I wanted to have kind of a a variety of of feels to these stories. So the golden key, it's a little bit melancholy. It's not very comical. And so I wanted to pair it with some of a funnier story, like the light princess, which from the very beginning, it's just very, very funny all the way through. It almost feels like a different writer from the golden key. And then I just loved little daylight because it has, it's just such a beautiful classic kind of fairy tale, but also very Christian kind of fairy tale. I think that both The Light Princess and Little Daylight are great examples of Tolkien's idea of eucatastrophe, where you know everything seems broken. We're in this broken world. The spell has been cast. Everything's ruined. And then in a way you're not expecting there's this hopeful turn, this joyful turn at the end. And so I, I really wanted to include some of his stories that highlighted that and also just had a, a variety of styles. Let's return to the Golden Key, that story. Then one more question, we'll wrap up with this. What's the case for reading the Golden Key right now in the 2020s? Of course, it's a timeless story. It has value across uh, centuries, decades, and so forth. But But does it speak to us now in a special way? I think so. I think especially in a time where we are feeling less human, you know, it's the, it's the era of AI, it's the era of digital media. And I think a lot of us have this feel like Mossy and Tangle do that we're kind of reaching for, we're reaching in a world of shadows towards what's really real, that that's a, a desire on our heart. And so I think it speaks to that for for grown-ups that we have this desire for something real and fully human, the fully human experience that connects us to God and to the eternal. And we have to really go on a difficult journey to kind of get back to who we were made to be, who how God designed the human experience to be and to be fully ourselves and fully human. And then I think for children I love forming the idea of forming the imagination of the child in this very Christian fairy tale and also laying a foundation for so much the incredible fantasy literature out there. You know, once a child reads The Golden Key, they're going to see it echoed everywhere in fantasy literature. And so I think that that that's a wonderful foundation for them to embark into this whole genre. Haley Stewart, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about The Golden Key by George MacDonald. Thanks so much for having me. 
You've just listened to The Great Books Podcast, a production of National Review. Please subscribe to The Great Books Podcast and leave reviews of the show. That helps us keep this podcast going. Send me your ideas for future episodes. You can reach me through our website at haymiller.com on Twitter. My handle is at haymiller. And last of all, special thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of The Great Books Podcast.